0: Hi, this is Deborah Wineswig, and you're listening to the Coresight Podcast. We have had a couple of great guests and interviews in the past few weeks, and this week you're going to hear from me, and I'm going to talk all about the behind the scenes of Double 11, and that's the world's largest shopping day, and what did we learn this year, and what can we take into next year? With that, we'll go ahead and get started. So we just are coming off of a really interesting shopping festival. It's Alibaba's Double Eleven. And while in the past it's only been on 1111 or November 11th, this year it took a different twist. And for, you know, kind of reference point, 1111 was started back in 2009 and it was originally this day to celebrate people who are single because, you know, many people who are single are off buying uh, engagement gifts and wedding gifts and baby gifts for people. And this is truly a time for singles to celebrate each other, but also to truly celebrate, you know, just and have fun. Right. And and I think this whole festival culture, right, which is there's, there's no religious purpose, there's no... Other purpose; it's truly just to shop and have fun, and to you know kind of share what's interesting with others. And we've also seen other platform players. And and one thing, if we can take a step back, right? Alibaba is not a retailer, right? They are a platform. They do not sell their own products on the platform. They do have several offline physical stores, but oftentimes they are selling products for those companies who are on their platform. There are three different ways that you can sell products on Alibaba. One is called TOF, which is Tmall Overseas Fulfillment. So your your inventory is here in the US and it is basically consigned to Alibaba. They will uh, put it into one of their stores. They can help build you a store, but that's kind of how that works. And that's really fast and easy. Then there's Tmall Direct, and that's for retailers who don't have a physical presence in China. And the idea is that we're spinning up once again either a storefront, uh, you know, kind of part of another store, but product is being shipped over to China and sold from a bonded warehouse and delivered through the Zinnow network. And what we've seen is you know kind of a significant uptake in retailers who tried this for the first time this year. Uh, One very impressive stat: there are 200 luxury companies who participated this year, and many of them for the first time the last way to and, and and just a matter of fact if we probably should mention some of those luxury brands so in the past we've had chanel and dior this year for the first time we had prada cartier montblanc piaget Balenciaga, vacheron constantin and chloe uh, cartier hosted its first jewelry show on taobao live unveiling more than 400 timepieces and jewelry items, including a necklace valued at uh, 190 million RMB or in US dollars, that's $28.3 million. Cartier's live stream attracted 770,000 viewers in just two hours. So for luxury companies who in the past have been, let's just say, not that interested or were worried about a negative impact on their brand, they saw some of the the greatest growth and and some of the most interesting experiences the you know if we if we look at some other kind of key interesting aspects of the kind of the holiday and the festival and and the last way to participate so once again we have talked about TOF, we've talked about team all direct and then um, we're going to talk about team all direct and we've talked about team all global so team all direct is when you have a physical presence in the market, or you have actual stores. So let's think about Coach. And then you also have your own store on Mall Direct. And now why while Mall Direct is you know only for those participating in a, in a physical way, they also participate virtually, it does get about 10x or 10 times the amount of eyeballs that Mall Global does. Mall Global has a younger audience and tends to be a bit more affluent as well. And there's a whole discovery, you know, kind of aspect of that that, that the consumers want to uh, approach this year, uh, we have seen uh, China eclipse the U.S. as the world's biggest retail market. And in August, China's retail market also rebounded to pre-pandemic levels, uh, demonstrating real resilience of the Chinese consumer. And, you know, certainly it was very important for the Singles Day on a, on a global level. Uh, we are seeing American consumers who are still recovering and we don't expect U.S. retail sales to reach pre-pandemic levels until 2022 at the earliest. And that, uh, you know, that really says something about the, the importance of this market. The, you know, one of the, as we were getting excited, we always get excited about singles day. Usually we have the opportunity to participate in the gala, to spend time in person with the Alibaba management team. This year we, we did that remotely. But we had seen data from Golden Week. And so Golden Week this year was the first week of October. Retail sales were up 5%. Sales from overseas brands on Alibaba's Tmall Global were up 79% year on year. There were more than 630 million domestic travelers in China. We had estimated 500 million. And while that was down from a year ago, that was still an impressive number, uh, considering it's almost double the size of the U.S. population. And then hotel bookings also more than doubled uh, during the the golden week. And, you know, there's some great case studies that, you know, and we've seen some really interesting kind of success this year, uh, whether it's Allbirds or Dionne von Furstenberg or Supergoop or, or Starbucks. And, you know, they've really been able to kind of experience this, you know, kind of whole festival in a new way versus what they had seen, you know, kind of previously. And, and that was really quite inspirational to us. So if we if we look at some of the, uh, you know, kind of history around Double Eleven, and when we think about kind of where it, it started and, and where it's gone to, last year, GMV, or, uh, you know, kind of the, the value of the merchandise that was sold on the platform, was $38.4 billion, and this year it was $71.4 billion. So we we are talking a, a significant, right, 92% increase. And when we consider, you know, the environment we're in, the fact that we've been through the pandemic, and we're still able to see that type of volume, that is truly uh, impressive. And the this year, we also had 250,000 brands who participated, which is also an, an all-time high. And then really interesting, and I do have to say, I think that Alibaba learned from, from JD on this, JD.com, which is also another platform. JD has a big holiday. It's like a mid-year holiday on 618. And they typically will use uh, the time period in June before 618 as a pre-sale period where you know consumers can put items in their cart. And there are you know kind of a lot of selling events around that. What Alibaba did this year, really because of the pandemic, to give the consumers more time to shop, more time to think about shopping, you know, it it really helped, I think, the brands as well from an execution perspective, that they had this whole like pre-sale. And that was October 21st to the 31st. So you could put items in your cart, you could take them out of your cart, you could talk to your friends about what you put in your cart, you could add more to your cart, you know, instead of five, you know, five pairs of socks. Maybe you want twenty-five pairs because they're such a great price and great quality. That's kind of the idea. But this is what's interesting is uh, there was a a whole live streaming ceremony on October 31st, which kicked off the, the festival. And there was this new sales window to bring more opportunities to new brands and small and medium enterprises. And that was like November 1 to 3. And what was amazing, some of the data that came out of that in the first 111 minutes, so let's call it two hours, there were an incredible amount of Western brands that did over $15 million. And those brands included L'Oreal, Lancome, Adidas, Nike, Estee Lauder. So really impressive, uh, unheard of results. I think it was over 100 brands uh, in that first 111 minutes. And so November third, excuse me, one to three was the kind of this presale, this phase one sale, and then we went into like our second presale or like phase two, where once again consumers could put items in their cart and like really gear up for the kind of coup de grace, uh, which was Double Eleven itself, right? So there's the big gala that starts on the tenth. There's you know shows like you've never seen every you know artists from the global stage, and that you know that period this year once again was up ninety-two percent the the first through the the eleventh. But what's even more impressive is that JD.com or Jingdong, they, you know, if you combine what their sales were along with what we saw from Alibaba, we ended up with $115 billion in sales. And that is just, I mean, I think we just need to take a moment and think about that from a a volume perspective, what that means to retailers who participated. And honestly, what does it mean to retailers who didn't? I mean, why didn't you? Why weren't you on the platform this year? That makes no sense. U.S. companies sold $5.3 billion in product this year. And this is a year where, you know, U.S. retailers could use all the help that they could get. Some of the things that to us were, were the most interesting is... In the first ten minutes on November November 1st, sales on JD Super, which is JD's online supermarket, increased 700 percent year on year, and JD Fresh increased five times year on year. And and we saw a lot of changes in in fresh food, and certainly all of us in in the West, and especially in the US, I'm sure we've all been cooking at home more. We've been purchasing more groceries, and it also shows right that some of these trends will probably be around longer than any of us think that they will. And I think fresh food is, is where we're going to start. Okay. So that's that's the whole kind of fresh food example. Secondly, we should look at what we've seen as it relates to to jewelry. In the first of a, any category, this is the most, I mean, they're all so impressive, right? In the first 30 minutes, more jewelry was sold as a category, right? Than in the entire Double Eleven last year, and and these kinds of numbers, right? When we think about them, and and just right, there's a lot of we we've talked about it to many Western retailers as well and brands. Jewelry is a fascinating category, and believe me, it's the one area where I'm like, no way. And we we it's interesting. So we at CoreSite, right? We bring U.S. companies to China. We tried to bring two different jewelry companies last year for this year, and nobody was interested. So it just goes to show you how things change, and they change very quickly. What is happening in the jewelry business right now is right? this idea that consumers are treating themselves. they are giving jewelry to the loved one. but there's also we we had seen this trend. I want to say starting back in 2018, spending time with Jingdong that watches and this idea, right? the watches had, like lifetime value, because right, you pass a, a watch down from generation to generation, it and, and and there's also something right very personal about jewelry, and it's a way to express oneself. And hey, if we're wearing a mask and we can't express our our face, right, but we can express ourselves through jewelry. So we believe there's this idea that you're treating yourself, you're able to express yourself, and this this kind of value, this this heritage uh, that's inherent in jewelry. And Let's just go through some of the numbers because they're all, you know, more mind-blowing than than the last 250,000 brands, 800 and a million consumers, 2 million new products, two sales periods, as we said, 2,600 new overseas brands on Tmall Global, 2,600, 2, right? If you were not a part of that, shame on you because you missed out on some like big-time sales and 200 luxury brands. So just, you know, hey... Always about the data. The proof is always in the the pudding. And the what we saw, you know, it's really interesting. If we want to kind of dig into, you know, there's there's so many areas to look at, right? In addition to top live streamers, 400 brand executives, which I have been so supportive of, because the Chinese consumer wants to know, right? Who are you? What's your DNA? What's your heritage? What's the CEO like, right? What's the chief strategy officer like? They want to know because that's very important to them if they're buying a brand from overseas. And we saw, we I think, you know, brand executives really listen to us. They really, you know, kind of, I think, were, we're encouraged by their own teams. And we saw 300 celebrities uh, also hold live streaming sessions and, and live streaming, right? Our estimates, of course, are that live streaming in China is $125 billion industry this year. And that compares to $5 billion in the U.S. Once again, huge opportunity to uh, to catch up. And, you know, this whole idea of, you know, what, what I thought was impressive, the, you know, kind of team at Alibaba to keep everyone feeling like they were there, that they were a part of it, they kind of brought the whole, you know, kind of gala virtually, which, you know, is not, as we, we all know, is not, you know, kind of easy to do. And, you know, I think that I'm going to throw some other numbers out there. 31,000 brands participated from outside of China. The you know kind of uh, four hundred seventy plush brands in total surpassed. And this is for the festival, right? Uh, surpassed a hundred million RMB, which is once again about fifteen billion, you know, fifteen million dollars. Um, and you know, it's it's a really significant number because if you had excess inventory, you know, kind of here in the US, you decided to approach, you know, Alibaba and try TOF for the first time, which is the team all overseas fulfillment, right? You may have literally like made your year, depending on the size of, of company that you are. At the peak, there were 500, I can't even say it because it's just so, I mean, unbelievable, 583,000 orders created per second. When you think about the the technology that, you know, is required for that, it's, uh it's really kind of quite interesting. And then, there were 2.3 billion total, you know, in total of delivery orders for that November 1st to to 11th period. And, you know, for um for product, uh, you know, Alibaba has its own kind of distribution logistics network called Zai Now. And this is before the the festival. Usually, really by September 30th, and I think they'd really like to have it in by August 31st. You need to have all of your product into the these bonded warehouses in order to. You know, if you're doing T Mall uh, Global and, you know, with TOF, you can go right up until almost the last minute because they'll, um, you know, air freight it in. But it is interesting in terms of, you know, what we've seen and, and how it's, you know, kind of come to be. So right, we talked about luxury, we talked about food, and now we want to talk about some of the, what we saw in kind of consumer electronics. And the, this is also completely unexpected. The strongest markets were the first tier. So these are the big cities, right? Like Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai. Those are tier one cities, right? Big cities. And then, you know, over 10 million in people. And then the rural, right? So we were talking like a tier five city. That's where the greatest strength was in consumer electronics. And, you know, some of the data that we were able to pull uh, showed that the in the rural cities, consumer electronics growth was up 126% and that's really quite strong and then diving into it a bit more the sale of smart watches was up 144% smart accessories up 128 this is my favorite electric toothbrushes thank goodness we're up 212% so we're all now using like you know electric toothbrushes and our teeth are all going to be pearly white and I, you know, I, I think that, so we've, we've covered food, luxury and consumer electronics. Let's talk about athletic, we, we, they call it workout gear. So it's, it's really, it's, it can be a bit more technical. It's not just athleisure, right? It's, it extends way beyond that. And some of the, the brands, uh, you know, many, many, many in the West. So once again, like Adidas and Nike, New Balance, right? New Balance, right? This, this running culture right, that, that we've seen, you know, just take off. Uh, it, it's been truly unbelievable. And running clubs and, and everything like that. And, and that's been really exciting uh, to us. And another category that you probably wouldn't know that you could even, actually there's two, you wouldn't even know you could sell in China is CBD. And one of the brands that we were part of this amazing pitch fest, we helped identify nine brands, all, you know, let's call them younger smaller emerging brands smbs uh, to bring to china the one of these is called uncle buds and uncle buds they have uh, you know creams and lotions and all cbd infused so think about like you know for dry skin for you know to to make your your skin feel feel better and also of course there there's other healing elements of cbd and and i think post uh, let's call it post crisis because we're still in the the throes of the pandemic on a global basis but post crisis in china everyone is taking right focusing on supplements, working out, healthy living, healthy eating and and CBD is very much a part of that and magic johnson did a live stream to china for CBD beauty brand Uncle Buds which was incredibly successful really put the the company on the map and and he was very involved i mean i think he you know he enjoyed learning about the market the opportunity and just how quickly you know everything happens right this this china speed is truly you know kind of unbelievable and then the other market we want to talk about is beauty, but specifically clean beauty. So clean beauty can mean many different things to many different people. We look at it as uh, certainly a product that has not been animal tested. China requires animal testing. And once again, because of Mall Global, and that's how the CBD product was also sold, so right, sold cross-border, that is what drove the sales of the, the clean beauty products and you know allowed some brands who hadn't sold in that market before to, you know, really be, you know, stay true to their roots, uh, but also, you know, find a new market and, you know, really create some really exciting, uh, you know, kind of opportunities and uh, brands. And then it's interesting, there were also a lot of uh, products from an export perspective. So if we look at the kind of top export brands, uh, these were... Many are, uh, elect, you know, consumer electronics, and also, you know, it's interesting. Some are, are food, and then others are, uh, let's call it, top uh, apparel and footwear brands, and brands like Lenovo, Lenovo, Xiaomi, uh, Anta, uh, Honor, Three Squirrels, Nature Hike, and and many others. And and that's uh, you know just kind of really interesting in terms of what we saw. Uh, Suning, uh, which is also a local brand, uh, exceeded uh, five. Um, billion of RMB and in the first 19 minutes and sold $760 million worth of products. So it's like a department store. And that was, you know, kind of truly an, an amazing, if you will, experience for them. You know, I think that some of the other uh, kind of really interesting, I would say, takeaways from the event itself was just the focus from the U.S. retailers on this event, right, and the not only the the personnel that they put around it, but but also uh, we saw many uh, Western, right. If we were like on our Instagram feed or Facebook or you know Snapchat or TikTok or whatever, the amount that Western brands advertised in the West, right, it was all in English about Double Eleven. We that was unprecedented. It's funny because we at CoreSight like every year. We try to track all of the, you know, kind of, uh, if you will, eleven eleven, you know, sales activities both online and offline outside of the China market. And last year, I would say we started to see that that pick up somewhat. But this year, it was just on a completely different level. So this idea that the festival has, you know, kind of truly gone global uh, in in more ways than one, really, you know, to us was was very interesting. And I, I think this idea that there's this desire just to have, um, you know, kind of a great time to have fun around shopping that continues to, to grow for, you know, the global consumer. And it's also a way for everybody to, you know, kind of connect with each other. And, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, in the early days of the the pandemic in China, before we saw it in the, the West, right. Some of what we saw was right. This like cloud clubbing, right. So, Hey, who hasn't danced around their house? You know, Preferably clothed, um, but many times unclothed, and uh, right, and and dancing around, you know, either to music in your head or, or music that's uh, playing from some device. But what we saw spring up in China was this idea of like cloud clubbing, and you would have a DJ often in an empty club or sometimes in their kitchen, and then you'd have all these people dialing in. So there's this this idea of connectivity, and and I do feel like that's what this this festival did, and it really brought people together. From around the world to to celebrate and to to feel that we were all kind of you know moving forward uh, together and let's let's kind of close this out with some learning. So what are some of the the lessons that you know from eleven eleven and you know I'll, I'll talk to you about what we see on a um kind of a macro basis and Then I'll I'll tell you a little bit about what we've done at CoreSite with these learnings. So you know this idea of what we see from an awareness perspective, you know, kind of um, drawing eyeballs with, you know, kind of photogenic packaging and crossband collaborations really helps to, right, start from an uh, awareness, you know, if you will, kind of customer purchase journey. And then on the, the interest side, you know, we start to see this utilization of gamification to increase engagement and leveraging live streaming to drive traffic and conversion. And then you know, ultimately culminating hopefully in a purchase and differentiated offerings and there's re- rewards beyond discounts. There's a, a whole, right, we talk about the interest part, this, this gamification element and then simplifying the rules, right, to, to facilitate purchase, right, to, to make sure everyone understands kind of what needs to take place, when it takes place and then Loyalty. A lot of what retailers are doing around the world is they utilize this this festival as an opportunity to, right, pick up new long-term customers and to also have the, the ability to, you know, kind of really market to them. And then there was this, you know, kind of a lot happened around like unboxing in terms of user-generated content for brand advocacy. But ultimately, right there's, there's been this movement towards a KOC, right? A key opinion customer, right? Any of us can do this, right? We can do this from the comfort of our own homes and, you know, we can share, right? Like our experiences with these brands, but we, we see this a bit more formally. And, and one other thing to note, right? The Chinese consumer, because they have so much intelligence around the product, right? Whether it's through live streams or whether it's WeChat or, or other channels, it takes them 12 kind of points of contact to convert, where in the US it's only four, right? Because our our journey, right? Our customer purchase journey is much more simple. It's incredibly complex when we start to look towards China. So let's let's just kind of talk a little bit about what we at Coresight have done, right, with all of this this inspiration, right? This eleven eleven inspiration. And you know, it's it's something for you to think about in your companies as well. This year, mid-June, we were You know, kind of certainly made aware, as I'm sure many of you were as well, just about the challenges in supply chain for Holiday 20, right? I mean, it's a lot of product is still not here, the ability to deliver the product, you know, kind of uh, directly to the consumer, what was going to happen with Last Mile? And then, as many retailers have closed their doors permanently, even if consumers wanted to pick that up, what was going to happen with Opus, right? Buy online, pickup in store, curbside. We'd heard many retailers were taking out uh, secondary locations within a mall, strip, outlet, you know, open air, so that they could stage merchandise because they feel it's going to be such a challenge, uh, which kind of gives you an idea of, of what we're we're gonna be facing pretty soon, which is why I've said everyone, shop early, right? We're seeing panic. Who would have thought panic buying on holiday gifts, right? We saw it on toilet paper, we saw it on food, now on holiday gifts. So shop early, as early as you can. And I think, you know, pretty soon it's, we're going to have a, we're going to start digging into like the, right, the gift closet for, uh know, well, grandma and grandpa. The, so what we did at Coresight, right? We thought about how could we, with our understanding, what we've learned from China. And I was like, let's come up with a festival. Best idea I ever had, kind of because the course I team didn't sleep for six weeks. And I, I truly mean that. And what we did was we created this entire U.S. It ended up being a bit more uh, like U.S. and Europe. So technically, I guess, global um, shopping festival. And we had 100 brands and retailers. We had 12 charity partners, including St. Jude, American Heart Association, Breast Cancer Research Foundation, Delivering Goods, Souls for Souls, and uh, many others. And then we brought on 12 supporting partners. Those were mainly startups. And what it did is it was great to elevate some of these startups and, and drive brand awareness, which is you know one of the key components of what Corsight does around innovator intelligence. But it then also allowed the startups to get involved and they really kicked us off. They were the ones who made the original donations to all of these charities. And then we partnered with Shopkick and Shopkick uh, did an amazing job in terms of bringing companies onto the platform, the give back. And we also worked with a company called Fashwire. Uh, they're also a platform that works with many of the the smaller uh, emerging brands. And they also had great success and uh, were incredibly supportive. And so what, what we ended up seeing, the data that came out of Shopkick was that, you know, kind of week over week. And so we're talking that, you know, kind of September, sorry, September, um, October 9th to the 12th. The festival ran for four days, and in those four days, if we looked at the data week over week, there was a 76% increase in traffic and a 26% increase in conversion. So some pretty solid data, and more importantly, we we drove, we started off the holiday season. First of all, that was the kickoff to holiday 20, right? ten ten, And... It was great, right? Amazon followed, right? They let the kind of whole charitable aspect of the, the holiday kick things off, and and this whole idea, right, around you know, kind of giving back, which I think is you know is very important to to me personally, uh, to Coresight, and to I know many of you, and to to many retailers. So that was one of the areas that that we have taken this these insights from China, and and really created you know a, a new business almost right from that. Secondly, and I only have two examples right now, right? Uh, we're we're trying the best we can. Is you know, there's something called Super Brand Day, and what Super Brand Day is, this is in kind of this whole you know warm up period for for Double Eleven, is that there is a a specific brand that's highlighted on you know kind of any given day. If anyone is on Wall Street, we would have like analysts of the day. So I I certainly got the uh, idea and. The, you know, kind of Alibaba does everything that they can to, to highlight these, these companies and their products. And, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of celebration it's really, you know, kind of very exciting. The, the brands are always, uh, you know, thrilled to join and maybe they'll do a fashion show. I had attended one, I think back in 2018 that, that H&M had done, which, you know, there's just a, a lot of, you know, a lot of excitement and it's really, uh, this idea of like kind of your day, your way. The so we thought right this year, I mean this year coming up twenty one, where so many you know conferences unfortunately are still virtual, you know is there a way to think about like a super brand day for for vendors around some of these conferences right, and so that we can highlight you know in yes it's it's talking about you know what the offering is you know kind of how they sell it, but also just like making it fun right I mean we've got it there's so right? Everything is so challenging right now. I mean, especially as with like daylight savings. And I mean, I'm a big runner. I like go outside now and like five o'clock, it's like pitch black. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, it's probably not the safest thing to be doing. But I I think that the, the way that we're all going to get through this is right, is, is together and having these fun events, right? Having more festivals. I mean, right in China, there there's, you know, six valentine's days i'm not saying that we should spin up six valentine's days although that certainly would be super fun and i love valentine's day candy but I, I do think that there's a lot that we can learn and it's different for every retailer right? it's different for every company because everyone's dna is different right you know there are 400 executives who kind of you know acted as live streamers which is up significantly i think over 100 from the year before But there are, you know, different ways that you know all the different brands want to kind of present the the products they're selling, present their DNA, and also to think about their sales volume. So everyone has to do what's kind of true and authentic. But you know, I think our key message here is, you know, if you've got 115 billion dollars in sales, uh, that's just driven by you know the two platforms of Alibaba and JD. Think about what you know can happen for. And the next big one coming up is right, International Women's Day, March eighth. You've also got Chinese New Year's. And so, you know, this idea around what can be sold, what can be done. And and the reason that, you know, I think International Women's Day is so important is we haven't seen historically as much focus on this in the in the West as we have in the East. And right, that's a that's a global day. I mean, Chinese New Year's is right a, a Chinese holiday, but you know, celebrated by many people around the world. It's also late this year. It's it's February twelfth. And that's that's really close to International Women's Day as well. So, you know, why can't you make International Women's Day like a whole week? Just throwing some ideas out there. So, you know, just think about how to work with live streamers to Talk to some of these platforms if you haven't had the conversations. You know, certainly to to talk to CoreSite, we've had some fascinating uh, experience bringing companies to China and uh, also bringing companies out of China. We are really excited to have Renee Hartman here with us today. She's the co-founder at China Luxury Advisors along with her husband, Sage. And you know, Renee has lived in the China market. She and I have worked very closely on this new collab, uh, C2, which is uh, Coresight and CLA together, really, I would say, looking at the most important data points for Western brands and retailers to understand the Chinese consumer. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Renee, great to have you today and to talk about the... Always important Singles Day, which uh, had a bit of a different cadence this year, which we'll we'll definitely get into. In addition, I know you and I have been really looking at the you know C two database in terms of how to you know help our clients better understand the China landscape, but also to really instruct us for the Singles Day. Can you tell me a little bit about the data set and? You know, what you, you know, any surprises so far as, you know, it's been put together and as you're examining, you know, kind of the the inputs and what it looks like and how has it changed how you think about double eleven versus when you didn't have access to the data set? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for
1: having me. Um, so, you know, what we did is in October of this year, um, we really did a, we did a survey that was looking at online consumers in China. So we surveyed um, 1,154 consumers in China. Um, and really with the goal of getting a sense of what their outlook was for Singles Day and what they're planning. You know, 2020 has obviously been a you know, pretty strange year. Um, we've seen a lot of changes in the China e-commerce sector and just in general around the world uh, this year. So we wanted to kind of get a sense of, you know, what are people planning? How have they changed um, some of their outlook, you know, post-coronavirus? You know, one of the things we've been doing at C2 is we've been tracking consumer sentiment since March, you know, and really trying to get a sense of how the consumer is changing their outlook Um, Are they changing their optimism level about what they're going to be spending on this year? Um, Is it changing the patterns of what they're spending? Um, And also just kind of where what's happening in terms of popularity and what are the trends that are happening in China? And I think, um, you know, and most of, you know, everybody else who follows China knows the trends change so fast. So, you know, things that happen over years um, normally happen, you know, lightning fast in China and this year, even more so. So, um, you know, what we did is we did a, a survey in October Um, we have a pretty broad range of um, cities. So we've got first tier, um, new first tier and second and third tier cities. Um, We are age range about 75% of them are between 25 and 44. Um, And we really looked at kind of a broad spectrum of getting a good understanding of what people are expecting for single day 2020 um, as we're looking into what's going to be happening next week.
0: So Renee, I know that you know through C two. There's you know this idea that there's really eight key themes to focus on for Double Eleven this year, and you know so many retailers and brands are you know selling on Tmall and in China for the first time. I know that you know throughout the community, the number one question and the number one surprise every time is around what is this live streaming and why does it work so well. What are you seeing for this double eleven and you know what insights do you have for the audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think live streaming has had huge um, huge growth this year. It's something that it was already happening last year, and we're seeing even more of it um, going into 2020 that, you know, fueled by COVID, but also you know, as we look into singles day. So it's really driven, I think, by a lot of these kind of high-level influencers. Um, you know, in C2, we saw that 30% of our respondents, um, when we asked them why they would purchase a specific product on Singles Day, live stream was the reason that they did it. And we've already seen you know, on October 20th, um, during the presales, you know, some of the top influencers um, did a seven and a half hour live stream, and the amount of product that they sold and the sales they drove was just staggering. So it is it really a, a key strategy for brands to be using the Singles Day.
0: Do you have examples of live streams that you know, either things you're like, wow, that was really unique, or? this worked really well. And, and what do you think it was that, that drove the success for the brands?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ones that I loved was right after um, COVID, we saw the Land Rover actually had a live stream and you had influencers talking about Land Rovers and they sold several cars during this live stream. So I think the concept of buying a luxury car during a live stream is something that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. So I think this idea of you know the influencers really becoming the authority and people looking at them and trusting their opinion um and it's not just about driving likes and engagements it's really about driving sales whether it's you know a, a makeup brush or even all the way up to a land rover
0: and you know there are you know kind of a few key influencers or KOLs in the china market can you maybe you know highlight what's unique or you know special about them and and kind of what's their real power
1: yeah i mean take take austin lee i think is probably the the best known Um, live streamer in China, you know, he's a guy, he actually is known for beauty. So I think one of the other things that's really interesting in China is um, male beauty influencers, you know, have huge, huge impact. I mean, take a brand like Lancome, um, their first ever male ambassador globally is Chris Wu in China, and he's been, I think, probably their best performing ambassador to date. So you, know, you take someone who's a young, hip guy, you know, a little bit edgy compared to somebody like a Julia Roberts globally. Um, they have huge, huge impact, and it's it's very different. So he did, you know, in these pre-sales, Austin Lee, um, you know, they did a seven and a half hour live stream. He alone, he was selling 126 brands during this time. So it's a, like it's very long um, there's a lot happening, and the sales um you know we're we're really off the charts um from what he sold. We have kind of some breakdown on it in our report and it's um it's fascinating to watch um you know first of all just the the level of engagement and the level of trust that consumers have um and these long long live streams i mean that's a long time for them to go and and they are just uh really selling machines during that time. they have huge teams behind them too.
0: well we've also heard this year that's you know different on the live streaming side is there are you know, special products you're offered if you stay on for the entire stream. There's points, there's gamification. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 well, I mean, hey, at $125, $126 billion, it's, it's truly a completely different ecosystem. What What's happening? How has it evolved? And once again, what do you think, you know, retailers in the East and the West can learn? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think what it is is it's really, you know, it's become entertainment. So I think a lot of it is, you know, they, there has to be more of a reason for consumers to get on than just, you know, listening to product promotion. So it's really the the live streamers have their own personality. They're very engaging, they're providing a lot of really specific and helpful tips. There's a lot of how-tos, a lot of tutorials. So it is, you know, something that I think the the rest of the world has not really been able to fully grasp, you know, how to, how to use this kind of um, entertainment e-commerce together and how that social selling has really been able to kind of catch fire. Um, I know even like Netflix tried it with uh, some of their recent um, shows that they had in the U.S. And I think it hasn't quite taken off yet. Even even people on Instagram Live have not had that level of success. And so I think in China, um, they've been able to create these very sticky Um, concepts where the consumers really do enjoy them and they learn a lot from it. So it is entertaining.
0: That's really an interesting point. And then the, you know, as you've seen over time, I mean, I remember back in like 2016, you know, I'd be in a hotel room by myself, you know, eating noodles with like a live streamer, right? You know, they're, they're eating noodles. I'm eating noodles somehow feels like you're having dinner together, even though, you know, we are not. And, and I do feel like there's that, you know, significant kind of entertainment aspect then the, the social, you know, kind of selling aspect as well. And, you know, how do you, know, what's the discovery process like for not only a brand, because, you know, once again, you know, how do they get started in live streaming and whatnot, but also, you know, how do the, you know, if a specific, if you will, KOL would like to work with a certain brand, what's the kind of matching process, I guess yeah I mean I think
1: that you know there 's obviously i think now we 're getting to the point you know I was talking to someone who does uh, celebrity endorsements in China, and they were telling me that the live streamers are actually almost getting the same rates that uh, an a list celebrity would so I think these you know really famous live streamers are actually um, as valuable as an a list movie star they can and the reason being that is because they 're so commercially successful, so I think for these big ones. Um, you know, it, it is China is a is a pay to play market. And so I think from a brand's perspective, to work with these huge ones, um, they have to be willing to to be able to spend some money, you know. And I think the live streamers usually are um, you know, a mix of kind of a a, a sponsorship fee plus a percent of the sales. So I think for these big ones, it is a big investment. Um, That being said, there's tons and tons of up-and-coming live streamers who are not as big, um, who are willing to really work with brands. And I think it's really about finding that passion point, you know, finding someone who does like your product, who is really engaged, who does really resonate with the type of consumer that you're looking for. I mean, China's a mass market, um, so being able to find that niche live streamer and even, you know, betting on a couple of up-and-coming ones, you know, really being able to... Tap into their audience base that's engaged. So, you know, if you're a fitness brand, you need to be matching with the fitness live streamers. So they're really becoming, um, you know, very specialized in what they do. Of course, there's some of these really famous ones who can do a lot of different brands, but, um, you know, there are a bunch of niche ones that are just really deep into their audience and they have a very engaged audience, but it's smaller, um, but it's very, very um, powerful in the way that you can match with them.
0: Well, I could, we we could talk about live streaming all day long because it just, it never gets dull. (laughs) The numbers are always impressive. I think in one of the presale events, uh, via sold $800 million in one day. I mean, Those kinds of numbers are just, I mean, you, you know, you as a brand, I mean, you can't pay too much for that. So I think that's also what's just incredibly interesting. All right. So, so moving on, right. Luxury. And, you know, we've had a significant increase in terms of the, the number of brands participating this year. And I think much of that is to do with, I mean, I think some of it was, was planned ahead of the pandemic. Uh, But then, you know, if you have uh, consumers who are distracted and, you know, maybe, you know. Feeling less wealthy, what we've seen is there's now 200 luxury brands, which is just nothing short of incredible. How do you think that changes things? What are they doing to drive sales, and why would a luxury brand sell on 11?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the big, you know, this has always been the big dilemma for luxury brands, and I think why they've been hesitant to join into Singles Day in the past. And I think you know, Singles Day started as a discount holiday, and for a long time, luxury brands had this feeling that if for me to compete on Singles Day, I need to do something that's discounting driven. Um, And that's very difficult for luxury brands to handle. So, you know, some of the beauty brands got into it by doing bundles and they figured out ways to kind of, play in that discounting or let's just say a value creation game, but for the high luxury brands, that was something they were never able to do. And I think, you know, what's really changing it is the way that they're engaging with consumers. They're making it really exciting. They're doing things like, you know, last year, T-Mall had fashion shows. They're doing really unique experiences, gamification. And I think the big thing we'll be seeing this year is going to be, you know, singles day product exclusive. So we're seeing that luxury brands are using singles day as a time to deliver a product that is exclusive to singles day. So it's really giving the consumer, you know, a reason to want to buy during singles day. So they're not, this consumer, if you're not offering them a discount or anything, excitement, it's most likely they're not going to be trying to buy luxury brands that day unless there's a reason to. And this, these singles day product exclusives we think are going to be the huge new trend. Um, you know, we ask consumers in our survey, um, you know, third. that was the number three reason people wanted to buy a specific product this time. And we have 36% of respondents planning to purchase luxury brands a singles day, um, and the big driving force for that was really the limited edition items and the product exclusives.
0: So as you look at the C2 data that you've, you know, the the kind of incredible database that's been put together specifically for this Double Eleven, and and will be, you know, kind of added to going forward. I was really impressed with just the fresh food focus. Mm. What was the number like when you looked at the results, like where were you like, wow, I just hadn't expected this and, you know, it's changed the way that I think about things.
1: Yeah, I mean, wh- one of the things we asked consumers is we gave them a number of different categories and asked them to talk about, you know, which categories were they planning to spend more this year compared to last year? Which ones were they planning to spend the same and which ones were they plan to spend less? Um, and the top one on the category they plan to spend more on was fresh food um we saw about 50% of respondents were planning to spend more money on fresh food this Singles Day than last year and this really came from covid i mean i think you know in the middle of the covid pandemic when china was locked down um people started buying fresh food online that was the the massive growth that was happening and i think people got used to that concept and they just enjoy it it's easier it's simpler um you know right now china everyone can go to stores there's really no no more overhang from any lockdowns or any kind of restrictions on them going out, but they've gotten used to this habit. And it's something that's carried forward um, even after all the lockdowns and everything's been done. So I think it's something that, you know, globally um, you know, brands can start to look at this. And this might be a trend that's going to be happening globally that we'll see post COVID across the world.
0: It's really, I I find it just fascinating uh, just in terms of that entire sector, because right outside of China, many of us will, uh, are in different uh, stages, just let's say, of being able to eat out or or not. And even, you know, it does seem right there's also that health and wellness focus. And I do think, right, once you start preparing, I mean, what we continue to hear, right, if like these bigger global macro trends, which will probably be here to stay, right? It is eating more at home, right? This idea of eating more healthy. Along the health and wellness side, I mean, we we've been surprised at some of the strength in athleisure and athletic footwear you know, looking at the data, where, you know, where do you think that there's still opportunity in kind of the outdoor space? And, you know, where do you think it's uh, saturated if, if anywhere? Yeah. I mean, we, we
1: ask, um, you know, again, going back to kind of where people are going to be spending more money, you know, we asked them specifically for um, fashion and for apparel and, and outdoor and fitness were the two top categories by far. So we saw you know, fifty-one percent of people plan to purchase more outdoor outdoor footwear and apparel, and fifty percent plan to purchase more sports and leisure apparel and footwear than they did last year. Um, and it's really, I think, goes through a couple different trends that are happening. One is, you know, like you said, the the importance of health and wellness, and I think that's everything from fresh food to healthy living to exercise and even self care. Um, and I think that's something that di- again was kind of happening and really got jump started by COVID. Um, you know, the thing that we're seeing now is even even a change in body types. You know, what's becoming You know, in China, especially for women, it used to be all about being skinny. You know, it's all about the thigh gap and how skinny you could be. And now, really, that's changing. People want to be more fit. Um, You're seeing tons, you know, if you're on social media in China, there's lots of gym selfies and mirror selfies, people working out, whether that's running outdoors and running clubs and fun runs, or whether that's home fitness um, or the gyms, you know, the really, you know, explosive growth of gyms and kind of fitness um, type, you know, crazes like spinning and bar and all that kind of stuff. So we're really seeing that, that area explode this year. And we'll con- we expect to continue to see that. And for these brands, especially the apparel and footwear brands to grow really strongly um, for singles day this year.
0: You know, it's interesting. We had spoken to Burton and they were talking about, you know, the 2022 Olympics mm. and right. We have 328 million, give or take a million people in the U S and that, you know, they're seeing a significant focus on the kind of Outdoor market specifically on snow sports, and that you know the numbers coming out of China are like three hundred million snow sports participants for the twenty twenty two Olympics. I mean those numbers. I mean it's you know in terms of if you're a brand or retailer, you just have to focus there, right? Because you have a consumer who's very discerning, right? Wants great quality and a great price. Like you said, there's also this you know a year round personalization and customization and you know kind of limited time offer and quantity, but it is unbelievable just in terms of you know the opportunity for these these companies what have you seen right in terms of where there's i know sustainability is a huge trend and maybe you can you know share some data with us on you know that i attended fortune um brainstorm tech and it was very it was in um guangzhou and it was unbelievable to see the focus from you know, senior leaders in China on sustainability and just not only the the dollars and cents, but also the focus from their organizations. And, you know, it's, it's this really kind of, you know, domestic intense focus, I think is starting to really, I, I'm seeing, I don't know about you, starting to really see it, you know, move into how people are considering consuming and, and living their daily lives. What are you seeing right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally in line with what we're seeing. You know, we asked people on the survey, we asked them if a brand's sustainability or environmental practices were going to influence their purchase decision this singles day. And 75% said yes, which is a huge number for China. I mean, this has always been something that people have talked about. It's growing younger people. We're kind of getting more influenced by this. But we're really seeing this year, this this trend has taken off. And, you know, one of the brands that's really benefited from this is Everlane. You know, Everlane went into China um, only about a year ago. They went in from cross-border on Mall and we've, you know, every time we talk to influencers, every time we talk to media, they're always talking about Everlane. It's just hit at a time when, you know, the the um, they've done a great job, I think, of kind of marketing and branding. And then they also hit the trend of, you know, sustainability being important to people. And we heard from, you know, a lot of influencers and a lot of consumers that COVID made people think about that even more. So again, it's this kind of, you know, um, you know, it was, again, something happened, but it's just become, it's become a lot more important this year. And you look at something like Everlane, um, you you can see the results in their sales and in the way that, um, you know, people are really positively talking about the brand. So I think it's just hitting at this time when sustainability is super important to people, and we think it's going to continue to be.
0: So as you think about, you know, the kind of build up to 11.11 this year, and right? You've got you know, the, the different, if you will, um, approaches and also the, the support from the platform, right? Super brand days. Where did you see retailers and brands focus this year versus a year ago? And, and do you think that changes their success on this kind of all important selling season?
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think one of the things we're seeing with brands is they're planning more in advance right now and the way they're planning their product schedule. Um they're really starting to plan their entire marketing and product uh categories based on these festivals, right? So, you know, China has so many e-commerce festivals. You know, you see 11.11 is obviously the biggest one, but even 618, you know, you have Women's Day, you have Qixi, you have 12.12. Um so we're really starting to see brands are even are planning their product releases aligned to these Um, To these festivals. So, I think it's something that brands are really realizing they have to do something different. You know, Uniglo did a great campaign last Singles Day um, where they really, you know, dug really deeply into their CRM and they were even doing things in their stores, um, doing a lot of kind of really deep data mining too. So, it's become something, it's not just a promotion. It's not just something you can say, hey, we'll do a bundle, we'll do 20% off this year and expect you're going to do well. It's so competitive, there's so much happening. And this people spend, you know, six to nine to 12 months out planning specifically for these holidays. So it's really become, you know, a core piece of your overall China strategy is how you can play during these festivals and what you can do to stand apart and do something different in this time when every brand is competing for consumers' attention. Even, you know, during Q4, all the media rates are up in China. It's just a really, really competitive time. So as a brand, you have to do something different and stand out.
0: You know, that really kind of goes to one of my last few questions, which is around marketing. With so many different platforms and so many consumers, just in terms of actual quantity, how do retailers know where to spend their ad dollars, right? Their marketing dollars? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a tough question. And I think one of the things that, you know, people are are finding within China now is, you know, things are getting more and more expensive, you know, so it's not so easy just to put money into paid, you know, to digital and paid marketing um, and expect to have the same results. I think one area we've seen a lot of brands put a lot of effort into is WeChat stores. Um, That's something that is, you know, is is becoming very, very popular. And when you look at China, um, really the key e-commerce channels are either the team, all the JDs and the marketplaces, or a WeChat store, you know, much more than your own website. So we're seeing a lot of people put effort into driving traffic and creating these kind of um, engaged communities on WeChat. So, you know, there's an example, um, there's an artist named Daniel Arsham, um, who's an American artist, and he's got his own WeChat store, and he does these limited edition drops. And he's done, you know, collaborations with Dior and Adidas and all types of things. And they're selling out, you know, within minutes, um, so I think that's something we're seeing is these kind of limited edition drops that sell really, really quickly on WeChat. Um, and that's where it's kind of brand, you know, more on the influencer, celebrity, um, buzz driven and kind of creating these universes of really, really um, sort of bought in fans that are passionate fans. Um, on the other side, I think from the platform standpoint, like the malls and the JD.com really really important for brands to work with the, the platforms early you know it's not enough just to kind of go to them in in september and tell them what you're going to do for single's day we're seeing people really plan with them throughout the year and get them on board because the platforms want the brands to do something special and unique they want something interesting there too so i think that's something that brands need to get even closer to these platforms and really understand how they can work together with them to stand out and you know and you know get above
0: the noise now that makes a ton of sense so if we, you know, just take a look back over, you know, the time that you've spent in China, and right, we've continued to see, you know, new platforms emerge, such as right, Pinduoduo, and and many other ways for the consumer to connect with brands, whether it's right, key opinion customers. How do you see right a brand that's new in the market? What what are the keys to success? Do they need to sell on all platforms? Do they need to just pick one? what is it that they should do? Because I think right every year around Double Eleven, right? Everyone's like, Oh, how do I miss (laughs) out again? Right. I need to focus on this. So, so what would be your advice?
1: I mean, this is like, this one is so hard to answer because I feel like it just really depends on the, on the brand and it depends on the category. So, you know, one of the things when, when brands are looking to the market, um, you know, if they, the, the, the place that's probably the best to build traffic and to scale is gonna be Team All or JD.com, right? Where you can work with the platform um, and they can help you drive traffic to the site. So they already have the, the consumer's trust. It's just a matter of working with them to kind of drive that traffic within their platform. Um, it's not cheap, you know, building up these stores and putting market, you know, you need to be putting twenty to thirty percent of your sales back into the platform to drive that traffic. So it is something that we, you know, brands do need to invest and they need to commit to it because one of the things I think the biggest risk for brands going into China is that they spend, you know, what they consider to be a decent amount of money, but it's just not enough to move the needle and they kind of just languish there um, and are never really able to kind of catch on. So I think that's, you know, for, for brands that do want to scale and do want to, you know, really commit to the market, I think being on these platforms is a great place because they have so many resources. Um, on the flip side, if you want to go in and you have a niche crowd that you really think is a passionate crowd, maybe they're not a mainstream crowd, you know, WeChat's a great place to to build that, um, consumer group and kind of create this closed loop of passionate brand consumers. And if you have that type of brand, you know, I've heard, um, you know, people talking about like a certain type of horse riding boots, equestrian boots that just developed this kind of cult following in China. Now that's not a mass, that's not a mass brand. That's not a mass market, but if you can build a really passionate group of, of followers, there a WeChat store is a great way to monetize that and to create this community. So it really kind of depends on the brand, I think, and you know what their investment commitment is, and then what their product is, and how they can kind of connect with consumers.
0: It's incredibly helpful. So, Renee, as you you know, kind of consider the you know your own journey this year, and looking at you know kind of building out this in- incredible database, and you know really resource for many brands and retailers what advice do you have to, you know, the, the retail and brand community? Is it, you know, start with the data and make your decisions. How, how do they right utilize this data to, you know, drive better insights both internally and, and make better decisions externally?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing, you know, it, they do need to start with the data. I think they really need to think about, you know, what's, what is working in the market in China? It's such a different market. It's so nuanced. Um, you know, I think we're constantly hearing, you know, take the fashion industry for instance, Um, It used to be simple to say things like China just follows Korea fashion or China's taking into account U.S. fashion. But, you know, when you look at even, you know, domestic brands and the rise of domestic brands, you know, China has its own taste. It has its own style that's unique to China. And by, you know, brands going in and kind of assuming they know things and they understand the consumer, that's where we see a lot of brands stumble. So that's why we really wanted to focus on the consumer and really getting to understand what are the insights you know, how can we use that to make these decisions and to develop the strategy? Because it all really, you know, it, it really relies on the consumer. And that's why Chinese brands have been so good at innovating and so able to kind of change with the change with the, the consumer preferences and to really be agile and fast moving. And that's something that global brands, you know, they need to be able to, to be as nimble as a domestic brand and to understand these consumer trends and change really quickly because um, it is a dynamic, you know, as you know, it's a dynamic market. The retail is you know, far and above what every other um, market is doing. And the consumers is just really, really advanced. So the brands need to understand that and be on top of that. And that's why we think the data is so important.
0: Well, Renee, as always, your insights are tremendous. And I, I foresee a series of eight more of these as we <laughs> continue to unpack some of these themes. So I hope,
1: I hope you're up for it. <laughs> I am. I am. And I think it's going to be an interesting singles day. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing how things go next week.
0: Thanks. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right, so we're going to wrap it up for today with Renee Hartman, once again, co-founder of China Luxury Advisors and also a co-founder at C2. We are looking forward to speaking to her again to hear more about her Double Eleven and China Market Insights. And everyone joining us today, make sure you tune into the next episode and please subscribe to the Corsight Podcast.